Happy Friday, friends. Welcome to another edition of Track Snacks presented by Hayward Magic. If you're listening to this on Friday, we are now less than a month away from the World Championships taking place in Eugene, Oregon, which is kind of crazy to think that this whole, you know, bonus podcast episode started and we were like 12, 13 weeks out and now it's less than a month ago. David, are you excited uh, to head out to Hayward Field in a month to go check out the first World Championships on U.S. soil? I'm pumped. I I mean, first we have to get through USA's, um, which I'm also pumped to watch, although not in person. Um, but it's going to be, I mean, already between NCAAs and pre and everything. I just feel like I'm in such a on such a track high right now that I don't I don't know how I'm going to sustain it for the next four weeks, but uh, I I am looking forward to it. That's for sure. Oh, trust me, you will. So as we said, this bonus episode for your weekend listening is brought to you by Hayward Magic. We're riding the momentum from the Prefontaine Classic and the NCAA Championships and all the surprises and amazing performances that we saw to prepare for the U.S. Outdoor Championships, which will run from June 23rd to the 26th. That's where the rest of Team USA is going to be named for Worlds. There's going to be upsets. There's going to be breakthroughs. There's going to be tears of joy and tears of heartbreak. It's one of the most competitive meets of the year with the highest of stakes because then Worlds will run from July 15th to July 24th. We'll have Sidious Mag House up and running for both of those uh, events. We'll be doing daily runs and daily programming from our house at during the World Championship. So stay tuned because we're getting ready to announce some of our plans very soon. Hayward Magic is gearing up for all the action happening this season, and they want to see how you're preparing for the summer events at Hayward, whether you're a high school, college, or pro athlete, or if you're just a fan looking forward to taking in all of the action from the comfort of your own seats at Hayward Field. Shows how you're preparing for the trip by using hashtag make it to Hayward in your captions. Hayward Magic will select and feature the gutsiest of posts in their feed, and the best submissions may be compiled into a real or story highlight and live on Hayward magic forever. It's the Instagram home for the true track and field diehards, dreamers, and fans. They're sharing the magic of the sport and elevating the athletes that push it forward. So follow Hayward magic on Instagram. So for this episode, I'm allowing David to once again, just geek out on one of his favorite athletes. David, tell the people who we're going to be talking about today. So we're going to be talking about the, two-time Olympic gold medalist, world champion. Uh, I would argue the goat of the women's 1500. Wow. Where did this fandom for you start? When did you become the Faith Kipigan stand that you are today? That's a good question. And I don't know exactly when it started, but I do know the first time when I sort of sat up in my seat a little and really took notice, which was her... Closing in 157 to win the Tokyo Olympics in 26, or it's not the Tokyo, the Rio Olympics in 2016. Um, and watching that race where she, you know, was a well-credentialed runner at that point, but taking down, you know, Safan Hassan, Laura Mir, Jenny Simpson, Shannon Robery, all these really, really experienced championship runners and just putting them in her dust was just next level. And then to follow that up in the next year, when worlds, it just, it really kind of set the tone. And I think I, that, that was maybe when I became a fan, but I think the way that she 
you know, came back from, from having a baby and just has been so consistent and so good on the diamond league and championship circuit. That's when I've really become like a true, a true Stan, uh, just so easy to root for. She's super nice in interviews. She just seems like a really, you know, cool person and is just, just so damn good. When you brought up the stat about her closing in 157 at the Rio Olympics, it totally like I forgot and I had to go back and rewatch that race because I remember I was at the stadium in Rio covering uh, the games for Sports Illustrated at the time. And the, the thing that kind of sucks about uh, being there and covering that race was that because Jenny Simpson and, you know, she's great for the U.S. audience and you know, because Jenny Simpson also meddled in that race, the American fans and audience, the story kind of shifts to Jenny meddling in the 1500, as opposed to the headline being Faith Kipiegon winning uh, and closing that hard uh, in such grand fashion. So it really didn't strike me until you brought up that stat, just how epic that race was. Where were you when you watched that race? I was in my apartment. I will say I'm a big Jenny Simpson fan as well. So I definitely was also freaking out about uh, her getting the bronze medal. Um, But it, you know, I distinctly just remember kind of feeling like not that she was out of nowhere, but that she hadn't really arrived on the scene. And one of the things I think we're going to talk about in a little bit is sort of maybe why she hasn't gotten as much attention or respect as, uh, you know, she deserves. And a big part of that uh, is somebody named Jens Baba, who I feel like we've all forgotten about now, but in 2015, 2016, she was the queen, you know, and setting the world record, um, just absolutely dominating the middle distance in that kind of one to two year uh, period it was kind of an upset that she didn't win in Rio. And it kind of felt like this underdog story um, that, that she got silver and that Kip Yegon, um beat her. And obviously now as just year after year, she's just stacked up medals and fast times. It seems, you know, obvious. Um, but at the time it kind of was this, this real upset. So let's lay out, the roadmap to get to this point around the 2015 sort of period when Genzabe Dababa was at the top of the 1500 meter scene. So to go back, because you brought up the fact that Faith Kipiegon has, you know, had a bunch of credentials going into the 2016 Olympics, a, a couple of credentials is underselling it because she has been a force on the youth scene, on the U20 scene. If we go all the way back, she grew up as the eighth of nine children in Kenya. There's an awesome profile on her from Spikes Magazine where they kind of call her Kenya's the new Kenyan prodigy, which I would say that headline has aged really, really well. She comes from a family of runners. Her older sister, Beatrice Mutai, was a bronze medalist at the African Cross Country Championships. Her father, Samuel Koech, was a 400-meter and 800-meter specialist. Faith didn't actually start running until she was 14 years old. And that's when her school had a 1K for PE class. So while here in the States, everyone's so familiar with the mile because everyone was forced to run the mile in gym class, they had a 1K and she ended up winning by 20 meters, which is pretty awesome and kind of indicative of how she's still winning some of these races. 
Yeah, I mean, she's now run uh, the second fastest time ever in the 1K. So in a, a way, it's uh, it's full circle in that extent. Um, I think one thing that people don't realize is that she kind of first burst on the scene as a cross-country runner. Mm-hmm. Uh, she won two World Junior Cross titles, um, and she was very much, you know, kind of known not necessarily as like a mile or, or even 800 mile specialist she she was a cross stud um and and it definitely wasn't a foregone conclusion that she would be you know a true middle distance runner back then i think the thing that adds to just more of her legend and lore is the fact that she won some of those early titles running barefoot now you've run enough cross-country races you run club cross uh what could you kind of imagine what that would be like running that barefoot uh, I don't want to, that's for sure. Um, and, and especially, you know, having watched some of these uh, local cross country races in Nairobi and, and all those areas, uh, it's not golf courses. <laughs> like There's definitely a lot more rocks than your average NCAA or high school cross country course. So that is, that is very impressive and probably, you know, early signs of her toughness uh, in races for sure. 12 years ago, she finished fourth at the World Cross Country Championships, running barefoot. Then after that, 2011 World Youth Championships, she runs 409.48 for a personal best. A year later, she finishes third at the Kenyan Olympic Trials as an 18-year-old, made the team, and finished seventh in the heats at the London Olympic Games at the World Junior Championships that summer as well in Barcelona. She sets a championship record with a 404.96 victory. That Those are kind of like the early signs where maybe she should have been popping on our radar. And here in the States, when we herald our high school stars, you know, the Gary Martins, the Natalie Cooks of the world, it's sort of like you hold this, you know, bit of optimism that they pan out. And I really wish I could go back to 2011, 2010, 2012 to just, you know, be a Kenyan track and field fan to have just like this excitement over, you know, the potential that Faith Kibiegon has. Well, and the one name you didn't say, which, you know, maybe will be a little prophetic is that uh, she made her first Olympic team at 18 years old. So really more than anything else, she's there a thing Mo. And if uh, her career ends up looking anything like Kip Yegan's, we're going to have well over a decade of good performances from her as well. So in 2013, she wins her second World Junior Cross title. This time she was wearing spikes. And then once she hit the track that summer, this is where she makes a little bit of a statement at the global level. She runs uh, 356.98 for a Kenyan national record and an African junior record in her season opener. Goes on to finish fifth at the World Championships in Moscow. And then she won gold at the 2014 Commonwealth Games in the 1500. In March 2015, she was working with the famous Bram Som, someone who track fans would be familiar with because he paced so many Diamond League races, but he was also the 2006 European 800-meter champion, and she saw immediate results under him as her coach. She won the Kenyan trials and then took silver in the 1500 at the World Championships in Beijing behind world record holder Genzebe Dababa, and now that is sort of the big sort of moment for, for her uh, on the global scale. And we are like not even at the good part of her career yet. Like that's what's so crazy is that um, she was so good, so young and has stayed so good for so long. I mean, one of the things 
we got to acknowledge the elephant in the room. She's a year younger than us. And wow. she's got three Olympics, two golds, God knows how many world championship medals. Uh, so we're really, we're really slacking is all I'll say. It is also sort of like a different era because now everyone talks about super spikes and how quick everyone's running. But in that 2015 season, I'm looking at it right now. She didn't run faster than 359 and ended up finishing the year with, you know, a second place finish at the diamond league final and a, and a silver medal at the world championship. So it just kind of goes to show you that she's someone who has adapted well to the, you know, the super spike era and this, the, this time that we're in right now. Although I'm going to fight you a little bit on that because I, I think that that is kind of one of those, um, you know, maybe one of the arguments against, uh, Kipiegon being the goat is like, oh, she's just running fast because of the spikes. I looked it up between 2013 and 2017. She broke four minutes in the 1500 11 times. Wow. So she was still running pretty damn fast before the super spikes. So all you it's the shoes people take a seat. She was good before the shoes. Well, I think what I'm mostly saying is that we're, we haven't seen too, too many athletes hold on from like 2013 to still being able to compete at the top level. And she is doing that. I mean, she's got the world's fastest time right now for 2022, uh, with a world lead of 352 59. And so, I mean, it's once again, no secret, she's going to be the favorite going into this year's world championship. So if we kind of keep going back, Back to, to that timeline, that silver medal behind Debaba is especially important because Debaba again was on top of the world, having set a world record that you know a lot of people thought was untouchable for a while. And you know, the, the crazy part is that it all unravels for Debaba because of her ties to coach Jama Aden, who then gets popped with a bunch of syringes in his hotel room in Spain. And She's never really the same runner after that again. And at that, I wonder kinda, why <laughs> it, it kind of coincides with the rise of Kip Yegon asserting herself as the number one runner, because then in 2016, which we already said, she ends up winning the gold medal 2017 at the world championships. She wins her first world title. It's, it's absolutely crazy. And I think, um, you know, one of the conversations um, that I want to have with you is sort of why, why she's not, you know, a, a tip of your tongue runner in the way that some of these other, you know, double Olympic champions are. Um, and I think a big part of that was just coming off the heels of Debaba. She broke the world record in 15, 2015. I think the fact that she broke the world record in 2015 kind of set the standard so high um, in terms of what was possible in the women's 1500. And it does, you know, it, it, one of the, you know, frustrating things, I think sometimes when we talk about these times and, you know, who has or, or hasn't been associated with, uh, with performance enhancing drugs, it's, uh, it's tough because it makes, you know, potentially clean performances uh, it, it skews our perspective on them. And so the, um, the stat that I wanted to throw out there um, that I looked up after pre was Kip Yegan has one, two, three, four, five of the top 15, 1500s of all time. But she's the only person on that list 
who hasn't ever uh, either served a ban for doping, been associated with state-sponsored doping, or had you know credible allegations of their coach being associated with doping. So, it, you know, in this day and age, can we really know for sure if anyone is you know quote unquote clean? No, but if she is you know a clean athlete, it's indisputable that she is the greatest clean 1500 runner of all time. Yeah. So to make it clear, kind of what you're referring to is Dababa has never tested positive for any performance enhancing drug. It's just the ties to her coach. And then ahead of Kipiegon on the all-time list, we have two Chinese athletes sitting in second and third on the all-time list because Kipiegon is uh, fourth. But those performances came in the 90s at a time when China had a pretty bad rampant doping problem um, that they've been very open about in, in recent years of just how awful it was and so yeah kip yegan sitting at number four on the all-time list with that 35107 that she ran at the monaco diamond league last year but to some people i'm guessing you uh you would see that as sort of your world record but um officially in the record books it's number four on the all-time list and and that's a you know again this we shouldn't take anything away from just talking about how friggin' great she is. Cause one of the other things is, you know, even if you don't look at the all-time list, she's got the hardware now, like she's got more medals than any of, you know, these women that are, that are up on this list. Um, and it's for whether you want to talk about fast times or, you know, championship running, she's done it both. Um, and, and it, it sucks that we have to kind of acknowledge the, the elephant in the room, but it also is easy enough with her resume to just talk about how good she is and to not worry about some of that other stuff. And so then kind of if we pick up the timeline back in 2018, after she wins in London, she gets pregnant shortly after those world championships. And then her baby daughter, Alan, is born in uh, June 2018, which is sort of like from an athlete perspective, perfect timing in the sense that you miss out on the 2000. 18 season, which is an off year without a world championships or an Olympics. And then because it's in June, you have all fall and winter to work back and get into shape for the 2019 uh, season. And so she does just that. She starts working with coach Patrick Sang, who many people are familiar with as Elliot Kipchoge's coach and the coach to Joffrey Kemwar and some of the top marathoners out of Kenya. So she moves to Eldoret and gets back to work ends up taking silver at the 2019 world championships. Again, if you kind of remember, this is the time when Sifan Hassan is now sort of uh, asserted herself and uh, on top of the world. It's sort of that Kip Yegon took a break. Uh, Hassan parachutes down to the 15, makes it her specialty event in 2019 and uh, wins the 1500 and the 10 K, which no uh, athlete has done before at the same world championships. So she pulls that off, but it was, you know, just, uh, Kipiegon's first season back after having a baby, which she took, you know, a great amount of time. She has spoken openly again. There's another spikes magazine piece where she talks about being a mother and, and that comeback process. And it's been a big part of her identity now on the track and showing what what's possible, you know, post-pregnancy, you know, if anything, you could argue she's gotten better <laughs> since having a baby. Um, and I think it's great to see, um, you know, some of these, fantastically successful athletes that, you know, also have kids and families and are, you know, really kind of setting the standard uh, for what is possible and, and redefining it. And I think 
one of the, you know, one of the things that is so cool about her is just that she, she just has kind of this taking care of business, you know, demeanor where it's no matter what, um, you know, the circumstances have been, whether it's Hassan or Dababa or, you know, anyone else who's on the scene, um, she's kind of just persevered from all of it. And when you look at her consistency over that time, it's crazy. Like the, I looked up her uh, average top, the average of the top 10, 1500 times she's ever run is 354.4. And she has broken four minutes every year since 2013, except the year that she took off to have a baby. So she's now going on basically a decade straight of running sub four uh, in an event that, you know, we've never really historically associated with a lot of longevity until folks like Nick Willis and, and Jenny Simpson sort of redefined what was possible in the 1500. And she's, you know, not slowing down anytime soon. So who knows how long she's going to keep this streak going. It's also just like the energy that she brings to the track and like she always seems to be super happy after these races she's congratulating all the competitors that finished behind her um and it just like you know pure joy that she brings and so it's always exciting to see an athlete like that i actually really like this quote that i found from patrick sang uh about her after the uh 2021 olympics he said when she walks into a group of people even if the environment is gloomy within no time, you see people laughing. She is gifted in many ways and is a rare type of athlete in the present world. And I, I just think that's perfect as kind of sum up the athlete that uh, Faith Kipiegon is. And I'm excited because, you know, the pre-classic treated her really well. And now, you know, she's probably in for something special at the upcoming world championships. Pre was kind of like a great example of, uh, you know, to the casual fan, like why she's so fun to root for she at pre this year, she broke her own meet record that she set the year before. So you think like if anyone has the right to kind of be cool as a cucumber and just, you know, walk off the track, like that's just another day at the office, it would be her. She was pumped. She was like rolling around on the ground, cheering. Like she was super, super high energy and happy. And, you know, seeing an athlete like that be so you know, kind of open with their joy um, for, for something that is basically routine for her at this point is it really does sort of, you know, inject a lot of positive energy into the sport for sure. So if the Prefontaine Classic serves as any sort of preview for what's in store for the world championships, she's going to crush it. Absolutely. And the question, you know, I wanted to pose to you, uh, but maybe to, to wrap it up is just I, I think of her as somebody who should a- absolutely be, you know, in the GOAT conversation. Um, and, you know, when you look at her social followings or the amount of coverage she gets, like sh- she's not really somebody who's on the level of like, you know, folks that come to mind like David Rudisha or, you know, even Elaine Thompson, hurrah, um, you know, some of these folks that have really dominated over multiple Olympic cycles that we think of as, you know, all-time greats. I think she's in that conversation. And, I, and, and it's surprising to me that more people don't kind of acknowledge that, um, you know, maybe the world world's coming to the U.S. will kind of up her profile um, a bit more. Uh, and, and that will kind of continue to be part of her legacy. But I, I don't know. What do you think it is? 
I think it's also the fact that so far it's only been the 1500 that she has found the success in uh, with Elaine Thompson. Yes. It's the hundred, the 200 and the relays with uh, David Radisha. It was the fact that the world record w- was set at the Olympics and it was a beautiful race. Kipchoge, you can, it's easy to make the case for him. And I think for someone like Faith Kipiegon, it's, you know, at 28, she's still in this uh, point in her career where there's so much potential in what she could do in say something like the 5k. She's only ever run one 5k before it was in 2015 in Eugene and she ran 1431 and hasn't touched the 5k since. So we're talking about someone who has run 157 for uh, the 800, 351 for the 1500. And in the rare 5k that she ran, she ran 1431. I would say that there's plenty of potential there once she decides to move up. And although the world record is inching closer to 14 minutes flat, uh, then I, I still think that she, she could have a shot at, at, at doing something like that if she ever chose to move up. But for now, you know, just keep playing the hits and 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 stick to dominating the 1500 because if you could do that for, you know, a decade that's truly special and something we don't really see uh, in that event over that long of a period of time. It's a different sub four streak, but she's already halfway to Nick Willis's uh, sub fours uh, with, with 20 straight. But yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely part of it. Uh, You know, when we do think about sort of folks who've kind of been dominant over the 1500, there's usually more of like a 5k range. You know, I think that also just helps if, you know, you are able to kind of be on the scene in multiple events. It helps kind of raise your visibility um, to, I think, interestingly, like in a weird way, the fact that she hasn't won more slower races almost, um, you know, could be a strike against her in terms of, you know, the goat conversation. I would be really interested to see what she would, how she would perform in like a, you know, 200 meter sprint to the finish all out kick in a pedestrian race because she's, you know, recently it's been these kind of like last 800 races that that have dominated the women's 15. Um, but, you know, I, I want to see it just as a fan, just to see like just how fast she could close when she really gets going. If we really want to raise her profile on social media, she's got to hit the reels. And I think the thing that she shared last year that was so special, I think it was in 2021, was uh, the exercise classes that she takes with Elliot Kipchoge and Joffrey Kemore, where it looks like they're doing like a Zumba class, but they're actually just, they're doing drills and it, she sets it to music. She posted two videos and I'm looking at it right now. It's generate, it generates twice as many likes as a running picture. So more of the uh, dancing drills content, please. Get on TikTok, Faith. <laughs> I think she might be because yeah, she's got one with that's uh, set to Can't Hold Us by Macklemore and Ryan, Ryan Lewis, 8,000 plus likes. So more of that. And I'm sure, you know, she'll raise her profile online at least. So that's Faith Kipiegon, someone we're super excited to watch at the World Championships next month. I can't believe it's it's coming up. Uh, David, thanks so much for doing this. Everyone, thanks for listening. And once again, this episode was brought to you by Hayward Magic. It is the Instagram home for the track and field diehards and the fans, and they're elevating 
the profiles and stories of the athletes. So follow them on Instagram at Hayward Magic, and we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>